This is Out of Office for June 2014, the daily routine of Out of Office Geniuses. Welcome to the Out of Office Podcast, where you'll learn how to work from virtually anywhere by using the internet for greater convenience, comfort, and freedom. Your hosts are Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Gihan. How are you? I'm happy. I'm happy. I've come back from a holiday to Europe, spent some time in Paris and Florence, which are two of my favorite places in the world. So Nikki and I had a great time there. It was really good. And it was a holiday. You weren't a digital nomad. You were purely on rest and recreation. It was. It was. And I did check email every day whenever I had wireless access. But uh, the idea was not to set aside any time for work unless urgent things came up and nothing urgent came up. So it was a really fantastic time to have two weeks completely um, away from work. Very good. Well, back to work now, Gihan. Yes, yes. And today we're going to be talking about, as I said in the title, we're calling this a daily routine of out-of-office geniuses. And it's based on an article that I saw in Harvard Business Review and I shared with you, Chris, and uh, you thought it was quite interesting and we could use this for one of our podcast episodes. It was called The Daily Routines of Geniuses. So it's about you and me, Chris. That's us. (laughs) And the article was talking about some of the things that – Philosophers, scientists, writers, poets, some of the famous people uh, used in their daily routines. And these were people who didn't work in an office and they had to have the discipline and the, um, the, the ability to work by themselves and perhaps sometimes to deadlines, but sometimes to self-imposed deadlines as well. So they were. So we're going to talk about some of the things that they did and how they could apply to, to out-of-office work as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the structure today is that uh, I'm the genius, and so you're going to interview me. Is that right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think we said something (laughs) along those lines. (laughs) But you're right. So most of these will apply to the the idea of the out-of-office worker who's a telecommuter. So somebody who's working from home, either part-time as a semi-commuter, as we call them, or full-time as the e-worker. And if you're kind of working from your home office, and uh, that's exactly what you do, Chris. So you do that full-time as a full time telecommuter working from home. So many of these things are things that you would have done and you'd have experience with. So as you said, uh, let me interview you with the, with the hope that someday you might show some of your genius. <laughs> There's still hope. There's still hope. Uh, it's fading fast. <laughs> so let's, let's go through this list. So the first one here was that many of these people had a work, a workspace with minimal distractions. These geniuses sought to minimize interruptions, and you may think that working from home automatically gives you that because you're not being distracted by people in the office, but that's not always the case, is it? Yeah, that's right, Kihan. So like, if you're like me, then you work from a home office, which is in a home, as the word suggests, that you share either with housemates or with your family. And look, they might think that because you're home, it's okay to interrupt you. And similarly, you might get interruptions from outside of your home. So you might have uh, friends and family who think that because you're at home, it's okay to make drop in and make a social call or ring you up on the phone. So I think the key here is to to set some clear boundaries so you can have physical boundaries. So in my case, my home office is a separate room. It's a study that's upstairs away from the living spaces of uh, of the rest of the house. And it's got a door. Um, I think it was one of one of the geniuses that might have been uh, Faulkner. He, he had a door in his office, but he didn't have a lock, so he removed the door handle. So you probably don't have to go to those extents, but having a door does provide that kind of physical barrier that keeps out noise and provides a clear signal that you're actually at work and you're not to be interrupted. And I've got a friend of mine, when he... 
when he's working from home, he doesn't have a separate workspace, but he puts on headphones. He's got these noise-cancelling headphones, and his family know that if he's got his headphones on and he's at the PC, then he probably is doing some work and shouldn't be interrupted. And so what he's done, and, and, and it's a great idea, is to let your family and friends know that what your working hours are, and during those working hours, you're not available to them. You are at work and you shouldn't be interrupted. Another source of interruption is things like communication channels. So what we advocate is that you basically turn off any of your non-urgent communications channels. So email, for instance, that's not an urgent communications channel, so turn off notifications on that. Instant messaging, well, that could be something that you've set up for urgent communications, but if not, again, turn off the notifications and alerts that come from that. And in my case, my landline, uh, people don't need to contact me on that uh, urgently. So that you can take that off the hook if you think that's going to be a source of interruptions as well. And finally, you, you can choose not to answer the door. Like I get a lot of uh, deliveries um, during the day and so the, the courier will knock on the door, but they'll just leave a card and you can go and pick up the parcel from the post office at a time that suits you. You don't have to interrupt your work to answer the door. So if you choose to, don't do that. Yeah, great. And I think the point that you made, Chris, is an important one that many of the people who were identified as geniuses in those days, they didn't have a lot of the electronic interruptions. So they would just minimize physical interruptions. But now we've got to be able to manage both of them, including the, the communication channels, which, which will distract you whether or not you've got your door closed. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, so the second one is a daily walk. And many of these uh, these geniuses like uh, Kierkegaard and Dickens, they would take long walks and some of them would take uh, three-hour walks. Uh, according to this article and the book, Charles Dickens took three, a three-hour walk every afternoon and that kind of refreshed him and gave, gave, gave him the chance to get back into, into his writing later. Uh, so we, you may not be able to find time for a three-hour walk, but some sort of lengthy break might be useful. Yeah, and I think in many cases, Kihan, these these walks were a source of inspiration. It allowed them to clear their mind and uh, have uh, great genius moments. Um, but most of us probably can't accommodate a Dickensian three-hour walk every afternoon. Um, so instead of that, uh, what we advocate that is at least take a few, reg- or not a few, but take regular short breaks during the day. And so whilst they not, might not serve as the opportunity for you to uh, get uh, creative inspiration, what it will do is it will help you stay focused and avoid the kind of mental exhaustion that can come from working for long sessions without a break. So you could use uh, what's called the Pomodoro technique or you could use work sprints and essentially what these involve is working uh, in a focused burst for about 25 to 45 minutes depending on the technique that you choose and then you follow that focused piece of work with a brief break of say five to ten minutes and it just helps you stay mentally fresh. Additionally, if you can't manage a three-hour break every day, what you could perhaps aim to do is to take one per week. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a walk either. So some research suggests that if there's a bit of background noise, and this can actually help improve your creative thinking. So what you could do is uh, maybe head down to your favourite busy cafe and spend a couple of hours there just uh, doing a bit of creative work. And uh, the background noise might actually be a help rather than a hindrance. And the other thing I noticed about these historical geniuses, Kihan, is that they carried with them uh, mobile devices for when inspiration struck. So they, they all, most of them carried notebooks. It wasn't the electronic kind. They had the pencil and paper kind. And so I think the out-of-office workers can do the same. Carry your smartphone with you. It's not just a communications device. It's actually a tool that you can use to, uh, 
to capture any ideas that spring to mind. And there are plenty of apps for doing that, whether it's uh, recording, uh, say, an audio message or text or video or image. Uh, you can use Evernote or Google Drive, whatever it takes. If, so, if you get a good idea, then you can record it immediately using your smartphone. The other thing that struck me about this one, Chris, is apart from the fact that it refreshes your mind, it's actually good for your body as well to take those breaks and to uh, have the sort of things that I think in-office workers sometimes get that automatically. You know, if you're working in an office, you tend to be called to meetings a lot. So you have to get up from your desk. You have to get up and do something and walk walk around. You may walk over to somebody else's desk to ask them a question or peek over their partition. And those are the sort of things that out-of-office workers quite often, just because of their work environment don't get and uh, those natural things don't happen i remember my doctor saying to me once um, because he knew that i worked from home he said look there's things that other people get exercise and you don't so just walk into your car or walk into the bus stop those sort of daily things that other people get even a tiny bit of exercise you won't get so make sure that you build them into your day yeah, yeah, absolutely right, Kihan. That's great advice. And that's what I do on my work sprint break. I will stand up and I'll stretch and I'll relax my eyes or go downstairs, go up and down the stairs. So yeah, building some physical activity into that routine is really important. Yep, great. Okay, so the next one uh, is accountability metrics. And this is about these these historical geniuses had their own rules for what they were required to do each day. And because many of them weren't necessarily working to a deadline, they were working to their own deadlines, but they set their own rules about what they'd achieved during the day. And many out-of-office workers, we will have goals that we have to achieve and output and certain deadlines, but it still helps to have certain rules about how much work you're going to do each day and what you want to achieve personally and not just what the team requires. So, Gihan, I found this one rather fascinating to see that uh, some of the techniques used by these historical geniuses I thought were relatively modern techniques. So, counting the number of words they'd written and plotting them on charts, I thought of these sorts of things as sort of modern quantified self approaches, but they were doing them uh, earlier, or they they were doing these sorts of things early last century, which uh, I found quite interesting. But as out-of-office workers, uh, we need to do this sort of thing because we're, we're assessed in terms of our results and outputs rather than just the number of hours we put in at the office. There's no one to monitor whether we turn up each day and spend nine to five at the office. So we're necessarily measured by our results and what we produce. So it's important then that uh, what we do is with our particular project that we understand uh, the goals or the missions and aims of that particular project. And with those in mind, set some clear and achievable targets that work towards those goals and make sure that they're agreed upon with the people that you work with. Then start working towards those targets. uh, And as you do so, track the work that you're doing. So track the tasks that you performed, when you did them and how long it took. And then review that that tracking. So measure measure what you've achieved so far and plan your way forward. Uh, so that's a, a really useful way of working towards particular goals and making sure that uh, you're achieving the sorts of results that you need to achieve. And another useful side effect of this that I found is that it provides some really valuable data that you can use when it comes to planning future projects. So I'm often asked to provide estimates of the amount of effort involved in a new project, and I can draw upon the data that comes from tracking previous work to come up with accurate estimates of the effort that I might need to put into new projects. Mm-hmm. And one thing I particularly liked about this one, Chris, is that it's a nice balance between uh, the process and the results. So as you said, we're, we're measured by results 
And that's what our managers and our colleagues and our clients see because they only see the output. But on a day-to-day basis, we can't only be focused on the results. We also have to look at the process. And this is an interesting thing where you say, you know, if I have to write, if I'm writing a book, the, the people who see the book or the, the editors or the proofreaders or whoever gets to see the output will see that, but they don't see my process. So this gives me some discipline around the process, which might be I have to write a thousand words a day. And that doesn't necessarily relate to the final result, but it does give me something to do in a, a very small chunk. Yeah. Yeah, And this next one is also about productivity, which is another really interesting one, which is, again, has got some modern correlations. And that is that these geniuses had a clear dividing line between important work and busy work. So the less important work, but things that kind of cluttered up their day. And the article makes a point that in those days, it was uh, it was easier because like, the mail might only arrive once a day, and they might then set aside time to do things like reply to fans and uh, write replies to the letters. And that was busy work. That wasn't actually necessarily the productive work the, that they were really out to do but it was important for them to do that but it wasn't as important as the other work so they had to find or they they had to create a time for doing that busy work that wouldn't get in the way of the important work yeah yeah this is a really important one Gihan and in the previous routine we talked about goal setting and so what you can do is you can have sort of a, a couple of goals for maybe uh, long-term goals, maybe goals for the month or goals for the week, maybe one or two, and then each day set goals that work towards those, those, those longer-term goals. And additionally, when it comes to your important work, I find that it's best to do this during the quiet times of the day. And for me, that's in the morning. So most of the people that I work with are in Europe and the UK. So in my mornings, they're all still asleep in bed. And then in my afternoons, they're starting their work days. So if I have any meetings with them, so my, my busy work, if you like, meetings and, uh, and corresponding with them, then I tend to do that in the afternoon because in the morning, I'm free to focus on my important work. And also, in the mornings, that's when I'm freshest. That's when I'm, I'm mentally alert, uh, <laughs> maybe. And um, so, again, I prefer to spend, uh, spend uh, when I'm sharpest, working on my important work and then the busy work. Yeah, it's okay if I doze off during a meeting. <laughs> and and we, spoke, we spoke earlier about uh, staying mentally fresh, so you're fresh in the morning, but you can maintain that if you use things like the Pomodoro technique or work sprints where you take regular breaks and, and uh, don't get exhausted. Good. Now, the next one is the one that was the most interesting to me because it seemed really counterintuitive, and that is that these geniuses had a habit of stopping when they're on a roll, not when they're stuck. In other words, when they're going really well, when they're fresh, when they're full of creative juices, they stop. And uh, it was interesting that there was a quote from Hemingway who said, you write until you come to a place where you still have your juice and know what will happen next. And you stop and try to live through until the next day when you hit it again. Um, And Arthur Miller said, I believe in getting out from the typewriter away from it while I still have things to say. And that seemed really counterintuitive to me because it seemed like you're saying, well, while you're on a roll, why would you give up that opportunity? You might as well continue. But I think the point they're making is that you don't burn yourself out and you don't keep working uh, after the point of diminishing returns. Yeah, and I think this is a real danger for out-of-office workers, Gihan. So I think there's a bit of a misconception, firstly, that uh, telecommuters, people who work from home, 
uh, slack off because there's no one watching over them to make sure that they actually have their nose to the grindstone. But in fact, the opposite is true. It's because you've got the tools of your trade, your home office, your workstation, your tablets and so forth uh, within easy reach. And so there's this temptation to work all hours that uh, are available. Um, So... The reality is that out-of-office workers have to be careful to avoid that temptation. And one of the ways of doing that is to set a clear end of the day. So, um, say, at 5pm or 6pm, whatever you set, stop work, turn off the PC, uh, back away from the workstation and close your office door behind you. And that's the end of your working day. So, you've got to set that clear boundary, not just in space, as we were talking about earlier, but also in in terms of time. The other thing, you know, I make sure that I don't work on weekends. So, weekends are kind of sacrosanct and I only work Monday to Fridays. The other thing is that, you know, you said you've got to avoid becoming burnt out. So, if you work into the wee hours of the morning, you're going to be uh, not just, well, it's going to be like working a physical day. You're going to be mentally exhausted and you get the, you, you suffer from diminishing returns because your mental skills are tiring out. And that sort of thing can extend to things like willpower, decision-making and your ethical behavior. All of these things can suffer as you become mentally exhausted. And so, as we said in the previous routine, the time to do your best work is when you're alert. So, for me, that's in the morning. Get your busy, get your important work done whilst you're at your mental peak. It's quite tempting for out-of-office workers to work at times which aren't, uh, which aren't optimal for them. It's simply because you can do that. The work is there. You don't have to get up and go to the office to do the work anymore. You can do work on your laptop or even on your phone um, when you shouldn't be. And if you're there in the evenings when you could be relaxing and you're checking emails on your phone, just because you can, it may not be the best thing to do uh, either in the short term or in the long term. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, Chris, I think is a supportive partner. So many of these geniuses had uh, partners who would support them. And uh, uh, in fact, according to this article, Freud's wife laid out his clothes, chose his handkerchiefs, even put toothpaste in his toothbrush. So I think this is one that you need to show to Cherie, Chris. I do, Gihan. I'm sick of laying out her clothes and putting toothpaste on her toothbrush. I want some of that back in return. (laughs) That's right. So I guess many of these were in the time when there was uh, a supportive partner who wasn't doing much more apart from just supporting the the genius in his or her work. Um, But of course, that has now changed now, but there's still some opportunities for out-of-office workers. Yeah, that's right. And in in fact, in my case, Sheree and I both work together in the sense that we're both in IT and we both have a company together. And while Sheree has her clients and I have mine, we don't work for the same clients. We do operate a business together. So we work together on finances and bookkeeping for the business. Um, But there are couples who work together uh, more closely. Uh, I guess you've got some clients who would fit that bill, Gihan. I do. There are many people who are like a speaker or a, they run workshops or they, they do consulting where one partner uh, does the work. So they may be the face, they may be the person who's up there on stage and the other person runs a business. And sometimes that combination, that synergy works really well together because the, the two partners, are, the, the couple's working together, as you say, Chris, to run a business. Um, but one might be doing one thing and the other one does another. So sometimes, some, sometimes those couples do work really well together in an uh, in their home, in an out-of-office environment. Right, right. 
and as well as sort of that that professional support that you can provide for one another within the business there's also uh, it's really important to have emotional support for each other so whilst Sheree and I are both in IT that means that we sometimes spend time talking shop but we don't speak about that exclusively and we keep that I suppose to a necessary minimum you don't want to be tedious and be spending all of your time talking IT um, and as well as that, uh, one of the great things about working from home is that I get time to spend with, with my partner. Sheree uh, has actually just finished her contract, so she's, she's at home full time at the moment. So that means we have lunch together every day. We'll sometimes go out for lunch. So we get that time uh, to spend with each other and to provide the emotional support that couples provide for each other. And another really important thing, I think that anyone should do this, regardless of whether they're an out-of-office worker or not, is that is to outsource as much of your domestic tasks as uh, is, within, is within your means. Um, with an out-of-office worker, there's this temptation that because you're at home, people might think, well, you're at home and there are chores to be done at home, so whilst you're at home, why don't you do them? But as an out-of-office worker, you're at home working, and that doesn't include domestic, domestic tasks. So get that domestic uh, work outsourced if you are able to do that. Great. Okay. And the last one was many of these geniuses had limited social lives. And uh, so, Chris, what can you recommend for us to have limited social lives apart from having degrees in IT, which kind of <laughs> makes it happen automatically? That's right. Well, this is where we're going to depart with geniuses. I mean, what's the point of being a genius if you're not surrounded by friends telling you how awesome you are all the time? <laughs> So, so yeah, we're going to depart a little from uh, the genius routine here. Uh, as an out-of-office worker, you've got that kind of flexibility in how you structure your working life. And so that means that you can accommodate social things during your day if you need to or if you want to. Um, so, for instance, yesterday, I'm, I'm a member of uh, the St Hilda's School Running Club, so I got to take the afternoon off, and my daughter's in it as well, so I went for a run with the schoolgirls, and a lot of other parents turn up uh, at the running club, so it's a great opportunity to just uh, socialise and get a bit of exercise done together. And that's the sort of thing you can do when you're an out-of-office worker because you've got the flexibility to accommodate that kind of thing. Another benefit of out-of-office work is that you don't have, you've got a zero-time commute. So rather than uh, taking that time that you save and working longer hours, instead you can develop more of your social life. So you can have some social time instead of some work time by saving on your commuting time. And the other thing that you've got to, say, work against is that it's easy to become reclusive. So you work in isolation. It's, it's kind of easy to get into a routine where you probably never leave the house. So you have to work actively to ensure that you have some social engagement with, with other people. And that can even be within a professional context. So you can join a professional association, attend their networking events. You can attend or set up a mastermind group. Gihan, I understand that you have some business book clubs that you run. So those sorts of things provide a social outlet uh, within a professional context. Yeah, and actually that's interesting that the book club is something that we do every month. So my brother-in-law, Neil, and I set it up and was set up to be a professional discussion around books. But it's interesting that it also has a social aspect to it as well. That we had our last book club meeting last night and we have the meeting and it's a professional discussion about the book. And then whoever wants to hang around for dinner can and we have a social conversation. And it's a really interesting way of combining both personal and professional. And I think for out-of-office workers, sometimes you need a little bit of permission to do that, to create those sort of social interactions and social engagement because it's tempting to think that um, 
out of my office, uh, so I'm working uh, in isolation and there are people depending on me, so I need to spend all my time, all every spare minute, doing what I need to do to achieve those objectives. And having that idea that you have all that freedom can be a bit of a double-edged sword and it's worthwhile creating some social time as well. And maybe a step towards purely social time is to create this balanced mix where you have professional and personal combined together. And there are a couple of things that, uh, as you said, Chris, you can join, but there are a couple of things that have also created just to create that opportunity. Um, I'd create another one a couple of years ago, which is no longer around, which was a business breakfast club. So people would get together for breakfast once a month and they were just business people and we talk business sometimes, but the idea was simply to uh, engage in conversation with people who had interesting um, businesses and who were kind of in, in a similar role. So you can have these social things which are part social, part business, as well as the purely social things. Yeah, excellent. So where perhaps we would um, adapt this limited social lives routine uh, with application to modern out-of-office work is, is perhaps you, we would suggest that you lead limited social media lives. So that's not to say that you should ban all social media. Um, I use social media uh, fairly often because it's the only way to say keep in contact with remote people in my social in my social circles, my social network. So some social media time is fine, um, but excessive amounts of social media time is wasteful. Yeah, and it's just about don't waste time on social media. Use it for what, what, it, uh, what it helps you with. And it can be professional, it can be personal. Yep. Okay, so those are some of the some of the daily routines of geniuses, Chris. And uh, I think that as I was reading through this, when I read this for the first time, I thought this is interesting just in general. But it was also interesting to see that these are people who were out-of-office workers uh, at the time. In, in some cases, many people weren't working in an office. But it's interesting to see that some of these routines that they were using are exactly the sort of things that we'd still recommend for you if you're an out-of-office worker. Yeah, that's right. I, I found it really kind of validating that many of the techniques and routines used by these historical geniuses are similar to the sorts of things that we advocate in our book and on the outofofficebook.com website. Yes, and since you mentioned that, let's mention the book again. So, yes, you can go to outofofficebook.com and you can uh, buy it on all where all good ebooks are sold. And so you could, you could be reading it in as uh, short as five minutes from now. So please do that at outofofficebook.com. And, of course, there we'll also have the notes for this podcast episode, which will include a link to that article about the daily routines of geniuses. And, by the way, that article was based on a book by Mason Curry called Daily Rituals, How Artists Work. So we'll have a link to that as well. Excellent. And uh, if you've got any comments or questions, then by all means, uh, you can leave comments on, on the Out of Office Book blog. Yes, and uh, one of the two geniuses will respond to it. That's right. Speak to a genius now. <laughs> and listen to a genius or two in a month or so time when we'll have a, another episode of our podcast. Great. And looking forward to speaking with you then, Chris. Thanks, Gihan. Bye for now. Bye. Visit our website at outofofficebook.com where you can read all our show notes, subscribe to the podcast, and get our book out of office. We wish you all the best in creating the work style of your choice.